The following recording is a production of Kicking Out at Two in conjunction with the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network and is intended for private use only. For more information, head on over to facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two or our Twitter handle at kicking out two, along with searching Retromania with a W on any and all podcast platforms available to listen to archive shows such as this and all the great content of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Evergreen content at your fingertips anytime at your listening pleasure. And with that being said, we thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Thank you all for hitting the play button, pressing download, clicking and subscribing to another episode of Kicking Out of Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and we are back on that nostalgic retro walk down the aisle, if you will, that, that memory lane that is that embodies this episode of Kicking Out of Two, as well as all the episodes of Kicking Out of Two. Of course, last week took a little bit of a detour and decided to talk about some current events that took place with Ariel Helwani, Tony Khan, Elimination Chamber, and all that good stuff. But we're back in the retro format with this episode this week, as we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from the watch-along aspects of what has really embodied Kicking Out of Two in the last several months, or even the last year or so. And we're going to just give you a good old-fashioned recap. Uh, Sometimes, every now and then, uh, with the watch-alongs, I get it, it can be tiring, having to not only listen to the podcast, but then pay attention to, to, to the instructions to partake in the watch along. So I thought this would be rather interesting, get my perspective on an episode of Monday Night Raw from March 1998, March 2nd, 1998 to be exact, the night that Mike Tyson joined D-Generation X as they were building towards WrestleMania 14. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to go back and recap with you. I just watched that episode recently, and maybe it will give you... The, uh, the, the little added extra kick in the ass to go check that episode out. So I uh, thought it'd be kind of fun to do all that with you on this episode here. A uh, lot to unpack here. Thank you all so very much. Press and play, download, and be a part of this. You want to find this show as well as all the other great content in the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Search Retromania with a W on Podbean or any podcast platform provided. And you will find this show kicking out of two, along with all the great shows, Cool Truth of AC, Mark and Not the Days, a show I do with Kobe, where we're covering uh, episodes of Monday Night Raw from 1993. So we're going back and watching one episode from each month and giving us our giving you our perspective of that as we are in the 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 middle of the 30-year anniversary of Monday Night Raw, which is quite the feat in and of itself. But there's all kinds of great bonus content over there. Um, Hulkamania is dead. Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Origins of Attitude, um, all kinds of great content over there. Hundreds of hours of evergreen t- content at your fingertips. So just go ahead, click the you know, click the link, and uh, you know, have at it and indulge in the nostalgia. Um, so yeah, that's that's the cheap plug. Even though you guys heard the cheap plug at the beginning with the promotional consideration, thought I'd give you another one just to give you a little extra added reminder as to what we offer on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Um, Coming up, WrestleMania season. We're in the thick of it, okay? And also on Kicking Out at Two, we're covering some milestone years. 1988, 35-year anniversary. 1993, 30-year anniversary. 1998, 25-year anniversary. 2003, 20-year anniversary. And 2008, 15-year anniversary. We're covering different events and things that took place in wrestling history in those years. And... uh, this time, we're covering the 25-year anniversary of uh, Monday Night Raw's episode from March 2nd, 1998. Mike Tyson joining DX. You can find it on the Peacock. 
Um, it's up there. It's uh, it, it was it was a pretty wild episode to say the least, and I'll I'll get right into it. Um, but before I do that, other great content we have coming up WrestleMania season. Now, a while back, I know I told you guys that I was gonna scale back some of the episodes, but it's WrestleMania season, and I thought there was some cool stuff that I wanted to chat with you and discuss with you about and um, interact with you. So. We're getting a few more episodes than I normally usually produce. Sometimes I do two to three episodes a month. Sometimes I do one. Sometimes I do none. Um, this time, the whole month of March is pretty much going to be covered uh, from, from, from beginning to end, starting with this episode. Our next episode, I'll be recapping for you the March 16th edition, March 16th, 1998 edition of WCW Monday Nitro, emanated from Daytona Beach, Club La Vila, Spring Break. It's those episodes of Nitro where they have the pool in the middle of the ring. Uh, on the beach, and you got all the college kids getting shit-faced drunk, watching wrestling. This was during a time period where the NWO was in the middle of splitting into two factions. It was the night after the WCW Uncensored pay-per-view. Uh, Sting came out from the from a helicopter into the ring for his match. The Outsiders did uh, had a cannonball contest in the pool. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was a pretty fun episode. I'll, I'm gonna go back and watch that this week. And I'll have it recapped and ready to go for you next week. Maybe that'll give you the added extra kick in the ass to watch that episode as well on the Peacock. Also, Dennis and myself are going to be partaking in a WrestleMania roulette-style watch-along with some WrestleMania matches that we have chosen from the respective years that we're covering. Like 1988, we're going to cover the Randy... Possibly, we could cover the Randy Savage-Ted DiBiase WrestleMania Four championship match. We might watch the Bret Hart Yokozuna WrestleMania 9 championship match. We might watch Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on Shawn Michaels in that championship match from WrestleMania 14. We might watch uh, Shawn Michaels Ric Flair from 2008. We might watch Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon from 2003. Who knows? But there's all kinds of different WrestleMania matches from WrestleMania's, varying from WrestleMania's 4, 9, 14, 19, and 24, all in the roulette wheel. The wheel's going to decide what Dennis and I watch. And we also have a special um, do-over series that I that I have kind of mapped up in my head. Where we're going to take a moment in wrestling history, or a match, or even an entire event, and we're going to do it over, okay? And the tall task that's ahead of myself and Kobe, who's going to guest uh, make a guest appearance on Kick It Out of Two, we're going to do over WrestleMania 9 because most fans out there have said that that is the worst WrestleMania of all time. It's on the Mount Rushmore of the worst WrestleManias of all time with WrestleMania 2, WrestleMania 11. There's other WrestleManias out there that people have discussed. This WrestleMania 9 is on that Mount Rushmore that many fans have said is the worst. We're going to try to make it, we're going to try to take it from being the worst to being something watchable. And we're going to do that with the do-over series, WrestleMania 9. And then Justin and I are going to sit down and we're going to discuss, my brother Justin's going to make an appearance, and we're going to discuss some what-if scenarios in WrestleMania history. Like, what if the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, was the WWF champion? What if he won the WWF title at WrestleMania 4? What if Hollywood Hogan left WCW and headlined WrestleMania 14 against Stone Cold Steve Austin? What if... Scott Steiner won the Royal Rumble in 1993 and challenged for the WWF Championship at WrestleMania 9. These are some what-if questions and scenarios that have been discussed in wrestling history from those that have been involved in the wrestling industry that were there firsthand. We're going to expand upon some of those 
rumors and urban legends in WrestleMania history and cook up some of our what if scenarios and see if uh, see if, if, if some of these some of these potential scenarios were even plausible were even a thing it could it have happened realistically speaking we're going to discuss that more and we'll probably throw you a little bonus WrestleMania weekend watch party with a classic WrestleMania match of sorts so we got a lot on deck for WrestleMania season um, here on Kicking Out at Two. And let's kick things off with this recap here from March 2nd, 1998. Uh, Monday Night Raw, you can find it on Peacock. Um, this episode emanated from the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, the, the show opens up with a, a highlight package of the Mike Tyson-Steve Austin confrontation that took place in January, the night after the Royal Rumble, as well as footage of DX. They're kind of stirring the pot a little bit. As Michaels is trying to find a way to get out of his championship match with Steve Austin. And he wants to see Tyson and Austin. Because the fans wanted to see Tyson and Austin. Uh, and then we see clips of DX attacking. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin in the weeks leading up. And um, comments from um, or Michael Cole's the narrator of this video package. Stating that all three parties. Michaels, Austin, Tyson. All in the same building as they head to the, uh, the, the, the open with um, the, the, the Raw's War theme with the video and all them guys fighting in the ring. And then we see Cleveland, Ohio, Gundarina. There's signs everywhere. I thought this was so cool because you watch wrestling now, you hardly see any signs. But you couldn't find a person in the arena when you, when you saw the opening shot with all these signs. It was unbelievable. crowd was awesome. Uh, JR, Kevin Kelly, and Michael Cole on commentary in the first hour as the show starts with DX making its way out to the ring. Uh, crowd's pretty, uh, giving them some pretty good heat. DX is not very well liked amongst this Cleveland audience, especially Michaels. Um, uh, WrestleMania is going to be X-rated, according to Triple H, who challenges Owen Hart for the European Championship and says he's going to go through him like a hot knife through butter. Um, then Michaels addresses Mike Tyson and says, DX plans to make him an offer he cannot and will not refuse. He warns Tyson's of what hap- He's going to warn Tyson of what happens when he makes the wrong decision. Then Michaels addresses Austin and their match at WrestleMania 14. Crowd chant in Austin. There's some good heat on Michaels there. Thought it was a pretty good promo. Um, crowds are eating it up pretty good. Uh, Michaels will show the WWF that Austin isn't tough enough to take on him. And he challenged Austin to lace his boots tonight. So he can face some sweet chin music. Maybe a little bit of foreshadowing there. Who knows? Austin finally arrives down the ramp and gets face-to-face with Sean. But the lights go out and Kane's music hit, which I totally forgot. They actually advertised Austin and Kane in the main event for this matchup, which was pretty cool. I totally forgot about this. Um, Pyro goes off. Kane is at the top of the ramp with Paul Bearer. DX disappears. And Paul Bearer tells Austin he don't need to worry about WrestleMania as Kane is going to send him straight to hell tonight. Lights come on as Austin is still in the ring. He gets gets pretty frustrated, makes his way over to the commentary table and threatens to whip Kane's ass no matter what. Lights on, lights off, doesn't give a damn. He addresses Mike Tyson, threatens to whoop his ass too. He throws off the headset and leaves the ringside area. Um, Like I said, this was a pretty good segment to open up Raw. Very unpredictable, kind of really set the tone for what the evening was going to be. Um... I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Austin, really, really um, popular, and his popularity is growing. Michael's audience wants to see him get his ass kicked. They were really into this. 
I, I, it was, reminded me of going back and watching this when I was a kid and just how fun this was to be a fan and watch this um, take place right in front of our very eyes. Um, the whole Kane thing, like I said, didn't have a clue um, that him and Austin were involved in, you know, uh, were advertised for a match, totally forgot about it. But it was done as a tool to set up things with Kane later, which I'll get into shortly. Um, <clears throat> we also get a preview of what's to come in the evening. We get a hype over the mystery WrestleMania celebrity that's going to be unveiled tonight, as well as news on the Legion of Doom and what their future holds. And then we see footage of a limousine arriving with Shane McMahon and Mike Tyson getting out of the limousine and entering the building as we go into commercial break. Back from the break, we see Cactus and Chainsaw Charlie, footage of them being attacked by the New Age Outlaws in their... Or I'm sorry, footage of Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie attacking the New Age Outlaws in their car outside of the arena as the New Age Outlaws come down to the ring in neck braces. There's a dumpster at ringside as the Outlaws do their usual shtick on the mic to get some heat. They weren't as popular back then um, as baby faces, but the crowd was... The, the crowd had plenty of reasons to hate these guys. And this, to me... The, the Outlaws versus Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Angle going into WrestleMania is a very underrated storyline. It, it was one of my favorites back then, 25 years ago. And I think it doesn't get enough credit for what the impact it had on the buildup to WrestleMania and the show itself. Um, the Outlaws talk about how they were attacked last week and they, they plan to press charges against Cactus and Chainsaw. Uh, they show their own personal footage of the incident on their outlaw cam. If you see, um, Road Dog was holding the camera as Billy was being interviewed by by um, Michael Cole, and then Cactus and Chainsaw arrive into the scene. Um, the Outlaws apologize to the fans because they will not be in action tonight as they have a doctor's note giving them permission not to wrestle, which then prompts Commissioner Slaughter to appear on the Titantron and disputes their injuries and demands that they defend their titles tonight on Raw. The music of the Disciples of Apocalypse plays as we see Skull and Apol make their way down to the ring on their motorcycles. JR then announces on commentary that the Outlaws are scheduled to defend their titles against Cactus and Chainsaw at WrestleMania 14. At that time, it was not announced that it was a dumpster match. Eventually later, it would become that. Um, this is pretty much a brawl to kick things off between both teams. The referee didn't really have much control. Uh, the Outlaws used the dumpster to ram DOA into it when out of nowhere Cactus and Chainsaw pop out of the dumpster to a huge reaction from the audience. The Outlaws run away through the crowd as they lose via a countout. Um, I thought this was a pretty fun segment to kick things off with them and to continue the build with Cactus and Chainsaw. The use of the dumpster seems to be a centerpiece and a focal point as opposed to Cactus and Chainsaw wanting to win the tag team titles to be the champions. They more or less want to dethrone the Outlaws to get revenge for what the Outlaws did to them with that dumpster ride. Um, up next, Sable's getting ready backstage as we go to commercial. And we come back from the break and we see a video package uh, highlighting the issues between Mark Merrow and Sable. Um, the story of Merrow's jealousy with Sable. And then of course, Goldust and Luna's involvement in this story. I thought this was a very good story. Um... They were really pushing Sable hard to be a centerpiece or a flagship of their programming. And this was a great job. Merrill played his role as the jealous boyfriend. You got the oddball pairing with Goldust and Luna and their, their wacky hijinks involved. I thought all together, all the pieces fit together for this story. Um, which leads us to Marvelous Mark Merrill with Sable, who gets a big pop, by the way, as he takes on Tom Brandy. Uh, Merrill would send Sable to the back before she makes it down the ramp. The crowd would chant Sable as the match kicks off. Um, commentary brings up the history between Merrill and uh, Tom Brandy that had been addressed in prior months. Um, 
The crowd begins to boo as Luna makes her way down the ramp by herself to watch the match. Crowd then chants for Sable. The finish comes when Meryl sets Brandy off the ropes. Luna would then trip Brandy. He's distracted with Luna as Meryl low blows Brandy, then nails him with the TKO for the win. Luna enters the ring to celebrate as Meryl is confused. She plants a kiss on Meryl and he pushes her off. Gold Dust in street clothes arrives and attacks Meryl, which now appears that this whole thing was a setup. Sable runs down to make the saves as she goes for Luna and gets a little bit, but Luna powders out. Meryl's upset that Sable helped him. Crowd chants for Sable. She shoves Meryl on his ass to a bigger pop, walks out, but Meryl calls her back to the ring. She doesn't want to come back, so he chases... She, I'm sorry. She chases him off and then exits the ring. Meryl goes back up the ramp as the crowd pops huge for Sable. Like I said, this is a fun segment to build the issues between the two couples, plus the issues with Sable and Meryl, respectively. Um, definitely a good storyline progression heading towards WrestleMania. Up next, Owen Hart takes on Mark Henry for the European Championship as we go to commercial break. And then we come back from the break and we see a replay of Mike Tyson entering the building. Up next, Owen Hart and Mark Henry for the European Championship. Uh, the nation accompanies Henry to the ring, but Sergeant Slaughter comes down the ramp and stops them and orders them to go to the back. Owen jumps Henry from behind to kick things off. Owen would then nail Henry with a spinning heel kick to send him to the outside as we see China making her way down the ramp. Owen notices her presence, which leads to Henry going on the attack. Henry becomes dominant as the match progresses, using his size with some power moves, some slams, a belly-to-belly -belly suplex, a backbreaker to, to, to put some more heat on Owen. Owen would eventually go for the sharpshooter, but Henry breaks it up and continues his attack. Then Owen would later go for a sunset flip, but he can't get Henry down. Henry attempts to squash him, but misses. Owen sets up for the sharpshooter, but Henry powers out again. Mark Henry would then go on the attack, but Owen makes a comeback and goes for Henry's legs. He delivers a drop kick off the top rope for a two count, then nails an inseguri and gets him in the sharpshooter finally. China gets on the apron to distract Owen. Owen breaks the hole to stop her, but climbs the top rope and gets shoved off by China into the waiting arms of Mark Henry, who has him in a bear hug. Henry tries to wear him down when China enters the ring and gives Henry a low blow, causing the disqualification. Mark Henry wins via a DQ. Michael Cole has a word, tries to get a word with China, asking why, and she just replies, "Because I can." Thought this was another good development in the Owen Hart, uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley storyline. China obviously wanting to make sure Owen remained champion because Owen has a match with her scheduled clients whatever you want to call him, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley at WrestleMania. Um, we get a graphic that Austin is, Kane is still to come as we head into the commercial break and we come back and it's the Headbangers and Takami Chinoku in the ring as we cut to footage of Vince backstage talking to Mike Tyson, which receives a chorus of boos from the Cleveland audience. Obviously, the importance of Tyson being at this Raw has taken hold of the program at times. Tyson's presence has been inserted into replays and into a situation like that with the match progressing or I'm sorry beginning with Taka and the Headbangers to take on the NWA faction of Barry Windham and the Rock and Roll Express. Jim Cornette's with them at ringside. The Headbangers would grab the microphone as Thrasher talks about growing up watching the Rock and Roll Express defeat great teams like the Four Horsemen and the Midnight Express but he reminds them that they beat them last week for the NWA tag team titles. Now I'll go on record to say I'm a wrestling historian. I would like to think I am. I, I, this is why I do this podcast. It's nostalgic. But 
The representation of the NWA in 1998 at that time wasn't on par with what the NWA was all about in the in the, in the heyday, if you will. Um, yes, Rock and Roll Express were a great, important part of the, the National Wrestling Alliance and Jim Crockett promotions years ago, but um, you know you didn't have a Ric Flair or a Dusty Rhodes or you know the the even the Road Warriors, Legion of Doom. Um, representing the NWA. This was the NWA name had been tarnished by this point ninety eight. They were doing everything they can to try to give it the rub, so to speak, with the WWF Attitude Era. Um, we get some more uh, banter on the microphone from Mosh as he insults the Rock and Roll Express. Takamichinoku then calls Cornette a jackass in his broken English, which gets a pretty big pop. Um, and this match is pretty much a hodgepodge, uncoordinated at times. Um, all six men were in the ring towards the end of the match. Taco would then hit a, a, a top rope plancha to the outside on Barry Windham. During that, Cornette tries to enter the ring with a tennis racket, but Thrasher takes it from him, nails Robert Gibson with it. The camera didn't see that shot at that point. Um, he goes for the cover and wins. Cornette would then challenge the headbangers to put the NWA tag team titles up. Next week, as they cut to a replay, which actually shows the finish with the tennis racket. Um, up next on the War Zone, we see Mike Tyson pacing backstage, getting ready for the second hour of Raw is War. As Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross welcome us to the War Zone, and we see WWF owner Vince McMahon enter the ring to introduce Iron Mike Tyson. Vince receives an unwelcome reception as he introduces the enforcer for the WWF Championship match at WrestleMania 14. Now, this is the network. This is Peacock. So we get a dubbed over generic hip-hop uh, uh, version of music playing because WWE probably doesn't own the rights to whatever music Mike Tyson came out to in 1998. Um, Vince then asks Mike Tyson his plans to be the enforcer or is someone like Stone Cold Steve Austin going to enforce his rules, his own rules? In the matchup at WrestleMania 14. Every time Vince speaks, the crowd boos him. This is obviously a, a, goes back to Vince opening up about his role in the Montreal Screwjob. And we're seeing the early signs of the Mr. McMahon character. Subtle hints as he's asking for the crowd to show him some respect. You're kind of seeing him lose his patience a little bit. Uh, Vince would then shift the focus to Tyson, who he asks... Who he asks Tyson who he thinks will win the match at WrestleMania 14. But before he can answer, DX Music plays as they make their way down the ramp with WWF officials following them into the ring. Shawn Michaels will grab the microphone to remind Ty Mike Tyson who he is. He's not Stone Cold Steve Austin. They're not here to disrespect him. They're here to treat him like a man. And I'm calling your ass out right now, right here, boy. That's right. That's what Shawn Michaels said. That was my best Shawn Michaels impression, if you will. Um... Tyson said, you want to do it? Let's do it right now. Let's go. Michaels then tells Tyson to get his people out of the ring, and he will get his people out of the ring. Crowd starts to pop big. Both camps back out. Both guys come face to face. The anticipation is there. The crowd's going crazy. We get some back and forth verbal uh, jaw jack between the two. Some taunting, some goading by Michaels. Then Michaels grabs Mike Tyson by the shirt, teasing if he's going to hit him. Tyson's egging him on, saying, hit me. Then Shawn Michaels pulls off his shirt to reveal a D-Generation X t-shirt as Mike Tyson joins D-Generation X. Crowd loses their mind. DX and Tyson are taunting Vince, who's on the outside of the ring, disgusted with what he's seen. We get more posing and taunting between the, the from to them from them to the crowd, excuse me. 
Michaels would grab the microphone and tell everyone that he's the man that runs this show while Vince is on the ramp watching this all unfold. Crotch chops all around as commentary speculated on Tyson's role moving forward in the WrestleMania 14 match. This was a great segment. This felt big time. Okay? It added more drama to the WrestleMania 14 match. It added more of an uphill battle for Austin to climb. Austin already had to deal with the numbers game in DX. Now, Mike Tyson has joined DX. And he's supposed to be the special enforcer in the match. The bias that Tyson could be showing towards Michaels in that match. That's another question posed. This was really... I loved it back then. I was a 15-year-old kid going, Wow, oh my God, I didn't see that coming. And it was pretty cool to watch unfold now 25 years later. Uh, we get back from commercial break. And Jim Ross and the King recap what just went down. Another replay shows it. We see DX and Tyson in the locker room celebrating as Steve Blackman makes his way down to the ring to face Kama Mustafa flanked by the Nation of Domination. And once again, Commissioner Slaughter comes back down to order the Nation back to the locker room. We get more discussion on commentary of dissension within the Nation as we see a replay of Blackman getting a wing over the Rock the previous week with inadvertent help from D'Lo. This match, it's really nothing special. Commentary is still discussing the, the Mike Tyson uh, segment from before where he joined DX. The crowd's not really into it. This is kind of like what they call the let-me-up match, if you will. Uh, Blackman goes for his submission move when Rock and Farouk enter, causing the disqualification. Your winner by DQ, Steve Blackman. Um, the Nation would beat on Blackman until Ken Shamrock runs down to make the save. He suplexes Kama. That gets a pretty good pop. Um, Shamrock and Blackman embrace. And this is, once again, another piece to the building story here. They're building. Each segment has got a purpose. They're building a story. With the, all right, maybe with the exception of the NWA Headbangers segment, each segment on this show so far has had a purpose, and they're building towards WrestleMania. This building towards Ken Shamrock and The Rock, while you have the backstory of The Rock's issues with Farouk, who's the leader of the nation, and the possible dissension within the group. I think this was, once again, another great building block to that story. Um, we see Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's backstage getting ready as we go into the commercial break. But back from the break, we get the former Colonel Robert Parker from WCW. He's in the ring to introduce the world's greatest wrestler, the world's greatest singer, the world's greatest entertainer, the return of Double J Jeff Jarrett to the WWF. Um, it looks like he's got no more ties with the NWA faction. He was a part of that little NWA group for a while with Jim Cornette and the Rock and Roll Express. But um, I guess they saw... Bigger things for Jarrett at that time, and they moved him out of that group. Um, Jarrett said that he wishes the NWA luck, but says they weren't prepared for a talent the likes of Double J. And then he introduces his promoter, formerly known as Colonel Robert Parker. He is now known as Tennessee Lee. Um, out comes Flash Funk, who's going to face Double J. Crowd doesn't seem into the seem like they're into this match either. Uh, Funk got a few of his high spots in, but this match is really designed to reintroduce the Double J character once again on commentary. We get more talk about Mike Tyson joining DX. Uh, the finish comes when Funk goes up top. The referee's distracted with Jeff Jarrett. Lee knocks him off the ropes. Jeff Jarrett capitalizes and applies the figure four for the victory. Um, this match, bell to bell, really was nothing special. This is all about reintroducing the Double J character. Um, 15 years old, my thoughts were, oh, Double J, really? Like, Double J? I kind of liked the different presentation that Jeff Jarrett had. He had a little bit more of an attitude. Um, 
even though you know he was aligned with the NWA, this was a different presentation of Jeff Jarrett. And I was kind of I was warming up to that idea, but it just didn't connect and didn't click overall with the majority of the audience. So they reverted back to Double J, which, in hindsight, when you look back on it, the Double J character being the very traditional Memphis heel wrestler was a good foil to the the, the current crop of baby faces during the Attitude Era. So um, it the segment, like I said, designed to get him over. This Double J was the focal point, introducing his promoter, Tennessee Lee. I've always felt that the Colonel Robert Parker, um, Colonel Sanders type character was very underrated. A lot of people think it was hokey, like he was Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken. But I thought that the... The Colonel Robert Parker promoter manager presentation, one of the very underrated um, uh, characters in WCW, managing the stud stable with Terry Funk and Arn Anderson and Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater. Um, the, the segment he had with, with Sensational Sherry uh, when they got married at Clash of the Champions, that was pretty fun. Parker was a hell of an entertainer. Um, doesn't get enough credit for... Uh, what he presented as a character. And so seeing him apart with Double J was a soft spot for me back then. Still is to this day. So that was pretty cool. Um, up next, we cut to a video of a female mystery celebrity at WrestleMania, at WrestleMania 14. Her face is covered with black lighting until she reveals herself to be Jennifer Flowers. She was allegedly involved in an extramarital affair with then-President Bill Clinton. Not to be confused with his intern, Monica Lewinsky, course we all know the the controversy surrounding that 25 years ago uh flowers says she'll be at wrestlemania 14 i thought this is an interesting choice but appropriate given the time period for the wwf during the attitude era you had mike tyson you had jennifer flowers pete rose would be involved all controversial figures that i think their personas and their background fit well into the the attitude era um we go to commercial break and jr says that they're going to hear from mike tyson next and we come back from the break. Michael Cole's outside in the arena. He's in front of a limousine trying to get a word with Mike Tyson. DX and Tyson arrive, and Michael Cole wants some answers. But Triple H says that Tyson wanted to be around winners, and that's why he joined DX. Tyson then says that Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to get knocked out as he enters the limousine to leave the arena. Up next, Jim Ross and the King discuss the state of the Legion of Doom. WWF officials have tried to get them to reconcile, but according to the King, Legion of Doom is dead. Done. We get a video package detailing the breakup of the LOD and their history as a tag team. It's a nice little progression in their story. Uh, something different. Clearly, they weren't the Legion of Doom of old during this time in 1998. Me having a soft spot for them as one of my favorite tag teams of all time. Um, I was invested in this story in hopes that they would reunite. Obviously, they did at WrestleMania 14. Um with a little bit of a different look, trying to modernize their look while staying relevant in the Attitude Era. Um, We see a a shot of Kane backstage getting ready for his match with Austin as we go into the commercial break. And we're back from the break. Kane's music hits as he's set to face Stone Cold Steve Austin in the main event. Paul Bearer comments on Mike Tyson joining DX and predicts that Austin will be laying next to The Undertaker in the pits of hell. 
Austin's music hits as he makes his way down the ramp, but is distracted by Triple H on the side of the ramp. And out of nowhere, we see Michaels come up from behind to nail Austin with some sweet chin music. They stand over Austin as WWF officials come out to break things up. And we see a replay of the attack as the crowd chants for Austin. Austin then eventually gets up and heads to the back looking for DX as they go into a commercial break. Nice little, uh, nice little added bonus to this story here. Michaels had kind of foreshadowed the whole lacing up my boots so you can face some sweet chin music. He delivered on that promise. I thought that was a nice little touch to build more of a mountain for Austin to climb heading into WrestleMania 14. Very well done. Um... We come back from the break. JR and the King announced DX's departure from the arena. We get another replay of what just happened. Then Paul Bearer is on the microphone again and asks Kane to toll the bell 10 times. Or I'm sorry, he asked Kane to take the ring bell from the timekeeper. Um, but as Kane's going to do that, he yanks a fan over the guardrail and slams him onto the floor. Now, I don't know if that's a plant or if that was some fan that got a little rambunctious and Kane. Took it upon himself to set him straight. I don't know. Uh, but they quickly cut to um, him grabbing the timekeeper and bringing him into the ring. Barra says that this is long overdue, that he wants to pay respects to The Undertaker with a 10-bell salute. He asks for the audience to be quiet as the timekeeper begins to ring the bell. Kane then chokes the timekeeper. After the 10-bell salute, he choke slams the timekeeper, followed up by a tombstone. Paul Barra continues to remind us of Kane's dominance Dominance as he instructs Kane to deliver another tombstone. Barra then teases Kane tombstoning JR or possibly the King. He says he wants someone to step up to his monster Kane, but the gong hits to a big pop. The lights go out as Paul Bearer is sure that he is gone, referring to Undertaker. A purple light would then shine inside the ring on Kane and Paul Bearer. The bell would keep tolling. Bearer would assure Kane that he's gone. But he starts blaming JR for playing The Undertaker's music. The crowd erupts as you see a lightning bolt hit a coffin on top of the ramp. The coffin explodes to reveal the return of The Undertaker. He raises up and welcomes Kane to hell. He speaks to Kane and questions Kane's best efforts at the Royal Rumble to burn the casket with him in it. He can't destroy that does not wish to perish. Undertaker reveals he had to go back into the darkness to soothe his parents' soul to explain to his parents that he has to go back to do the one thing he promised he would not do, and that is destroy Cain. Paul Bearer says that Cain is the real phenom as the flames of fire shoot on the stage in front of the Undertaker, but he walks right through it and accepts Cain's challenge for WrestleMania 14. Crowds erupt. The crowd would then erupt as the Undertaker says that Cain will rest in peace. And the show goes off the air. That is the end of this episode of Monday Night Raw. This segment here I thought was was great. Another building block to to, to get us to Kane and Undertaker. Kane showing his dominance. Um, it's been it'd been quite some time since Undertaker was off TV. He's back. He accepts Kane's challenge. One of the better told stories in wrestling history is the Undertaker Kane saga early on. And this was the early remnants of this story unfolding and it was pretty cool to watch and pretty cool to see 25 years later um overall this show match quality um was par for the course in 1998 which means it wasn't good but in terms of storyline development heading into wrestlemania 14 this was an excellent 
episode of Monday Night Raw. Go out of your way to watch it. Like I said, for the most part, almost every segment had a purpose. You had great buildup in the Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin saga. Mike Tyson joining DX, that throws a monkey in the wrench. The Triple H, Owen Hart rivalry is, is starting to build along nicely with China's involvement in the Owen Hart match. The New Age Outlaws and the Cactus Jack Chainsaw Charlie rivalry, that's developing very well with the added um, focal point being this dumpster that really started things. Kane and The Undertaker, Ken Shamrock and The Rock, Sable, Mark Merrill, Goldust and Luna. The card is starting to build up nicely. These stories are starting to be progressing and developing very well heading into WrestleMania 14 and this show exemplified all that there was forward movement the show felt big time it felt fresh it ramped up my excitement back then watching WrestleMania 14 Um, overall excellent show in terms of storyline development match quality 1998 don't find you on TV every week you're not going to find the match quality that you're looking for bell to bell in 1998 but when it comes to drama and storyline this is some of the best work that wwf had done at that time so um go out of your way march 2nd 1998 episode of monday night raw it's season let me think season nine three nine four nine five nine six nine seven nine season six so you'll find it up there mike tyson joins degeneration x find that in the archives uh over at peacock if you will and let me know what you thought of it and hopefully you all thought that this recap was worth you taking the time to go watch this episode of Monday Night Raw. So thank you all so very much for pressing play, hitting the download button. Like I said, a lot of content coming up as we head towards WrestleMania season. We're in the thick of it. Next week, I'm going to recap that March 16th, 1998 spring break episode of Monday Nitro. I'm really looking forward to going back and watching that and recapping it with all of you. Then the following week, Dennis and myself are going to sit down and we're going to Go through the kicking out of two randomizer roulette wheel. And it's going to decide which match in WrestleMania history we're going to watch. Could it be Randy Savage and Ted DiBiase from WrestleMania 4? Could it be Bret Hart and Yokozuna from WrestleMania 9? Could it be Hulk Hogan versus Vince McMahon from WrestleMania 19? Could it be Shawn Michaels versus Ric Flair from WrestleMania 24? Lots of other matches to choose from as, um, in addition to the ones I just mentioned. Find out on that episode. The following week... We're going to do over WrestleMania 9. Kobe Knight and myself are going to sit down and we are going to we're going to try and make WrestleMania 9 watchable with our reimagined thoughts of a build-up and a match card, respectively. Kobe's got his, I got mine. We're going to sit down, brainstorm, talk about it, and make and hopefully, hopefully, our either of our versions of WrestleMania 9 will be more watchable than the one we saw. 30 years ago in 1993. And then following that, WrestleMania what ifs. What if Ted DiBiase won the WWF Championship in that tournament at WrestleMania 4? What if Hollywood Hogan faced off against Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 14? What if? What if? What if Scott Steiner won the Royal Rumble in 1993 to challenge for the WWF Championship? All questions and urban legends that have been discussed in the wrestling community, we're going to bring those to light and share our thoughts with all of you on WrestleMania What Ifs. And WrestleMania Weekend will probably shell out a bonus watch-along of a classic WrestleMania match with for all of you as we get into the thick of it with WrestleMania season. Thank you again. Appreciate all the love and support. 
Go check out Retromania. Search Retromania with a W. All podcast platforms provided. You will find this show as well as all the great content marking out the days. Cool Truth with AC. Great shows up in there in the archives. Thank you once again for all your support. And I appreciate it greatly. And I think it's about that time that we officially put this show down for the three count. And we will see you all next time.